Well, welcome, my friends, to the worship of Christ. Um, let's gather around God's Word, shall we? We've been walking with Jesus through the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, the place that we're at is, is, is chapter 11. What's just happened is that Jesus has sent the 12 out into short-term mission work. And what we begin to see is that, that Jesus himself now, is just, he's going to go out, even though he sent the 12 away, he's going to continue to go out and do his work. He's going to uh, preach and teach throughout Galilee. And if I can summarize today's teaching for you with one word, that word would be this, expectations. Okay? Expectations. Have you ever uh, maybe, uh, well, well, I think a great example for me might be the movie Oppenheimer, right? I, 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 we, we were really excited to see that movie, but I don't know that I've had greater expectations set for me about what a movie was going to be than that movie. So we recently went out to it, and I, I really, I don't know, I just thought this was going to be the greatest movie ever made, and I didn't expect there to be naked ladies in it. Uh, I did not expect that with my 20-year-old son on one side and my 17-year-old daughter on the other. So my expectations were, were not met. Great movie, but, but didn't meet my expectations. You ever read a book? Uh, that everyone was raving about, and you got to that book, and it just didn't meet your expectations at all. Or maybe, uh, I can remember, this happened to Cammie and I a few years back. We showed up at a party, and it was, I, I don't know what, I, I missed the, the whole craze about engagement parties. And someone said, hey, yeah, we're having an engagement party. You're welcome. And so I put on a pair of blue jeans, and I put on a, a fishing shirt, and Cammie's got some similar dress. And we show up, and everyone is dressed to the nine. I mean, it is it's cocktail dresses and suits and ties, and we just, we felt our expectations were not right, right? We had some unmet expectations. So, so what I want to talk to you today about is the expectations that John the Baptist had about Jesus. And what I want to suggest to you is that John the Baptist had certain expectations of, of Jesus and really certain expectations of the Messiah, which were not met. And because John had these expectations that were not met in Jesus, what we're going to see today is that John's going to have a crisis of faith, a crisis of faith because his expectations were not met. So let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. What kind of expectations did John the Baptist have that Jesus did not fulfill? Well, uh, in order to tell you that, I've got to give you a little bit of background and, and tell you that, that most of the Jews in this kind of Second Temple Judaism time, they have one of two different expectations for what the Messiah would come and do. They either thought that the Messiah was going to come and conquer the world through military might and conquest and overthrow the Roman oppressors of the Jewish people. So, the, so kind of one option was they thought that the Messiah would bring an overthrow of the Roman oppressors, or, this is, this is another one, they assumed that the Messiah would bring with him the righteous judgment of God as soon as he arrived. That the, that the Messiah would come and that he would judge the world and that he would uh, punish the wicked and that he would reward uh, those who he saw as righteous. And I know I'm oversimplifying this just a tad, but I need you to understand that there were two predominant expectations about the Messiah, either overthrow oppressors or bring an immediate judgment right then. So my question is this, which of these two camps do you think that John the Baptist might have fallen into? I think that John the Baptist fell into, and, and, and I'm kind of reading in between the lines just a bit here, but I'm going to show you why. I believe that, that John expected that when Jesus got there, Jesus was immediately going to uh, pour out God's wrath a little bit on, on the wicked. And let me, let me show you why I think this, all right? It, it, start with me in the famous words of, 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 of John in, in Matthew 3, 2, right? What do we have? This is, this is what John would always pre preach. He would say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
right? He, he's telling people, like, you need to, you need to address your sin. Uh, now look at Matthew 3, 7. We're just going to see a pattern here. He said this, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, John, this is who's talking here, John said to them, you brood of, Sadduce- uh, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? So, so what's John's expectation? Is it, I just want to start making this point that I think that he, he believes that there's a coming wrath, and I believe he thinks it's probably coming in his lifetime. Keep asking yourself what John's expectations of Jesus are as we read, all right? Look at Matthew 3.10. This is John again, right? He says this, Even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What is, what is John's expectation of the Messiah? I, I, I believe I'm seeing a pattern here. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking this, all right? Look at Matthew uh, 3, 11 through 12. We're going to read this one. It says this, I baptize you with water for repentance. This is John. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. All right, now here's the part I want you to pay attention to. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. What I want you to remember is that the harvest language, that, that language, we've been seeing it all through Matthew, that harvest language is almost always about judgment. Okay? So, so John is speaking about the Messiah's executing God's final judgment. So just to reiterate myself here, what is John's expectation of the Messiah? Well, I don't know, but he sure is talking a lot. And these are the words of God, but he's talking a lot about, uh, about separating the wheat from the chaff and punishing the unrighteous. And, and for clarity's sake, let me say this about what John's saying. John's words are true. They are, they are true prophecy of God. But that does not mean that John completely understands the why or the when that Jesus is going to judge the world and bring God's wrath. And, and, and so John has expectations of Jesus which are going to be unmet in the short term. Jesus will one day do everything that John has prophesied, but just not in John's timing. And so John's unmet expectations of Jesus not bringing this judgment have led him to a crisis of faith. And I want to explore that crisis of faith today. We're going to read Matthew 11, 1 through 19, as we do, uh, as is our tradition. I want to invite you to stand as we read God's Word together. Let's have a, let's have a word of prayer first. Father, thank you for your Word. Uh, we trust in it. We need it. We are fed by it. We long for it. So uh, use it to wash us today. Lord, as you do your bride. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, beginning in verse uh, 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and he said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And they went away. Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see it? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. 
What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has is, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like, like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, man, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him. He's a, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Church, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever, and this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Uh, this is one of those, uh, what they call a tweener. It's, a, it's an interesting text because uh, it, there's really no place to cut it um, and preach it into two sections. And, and it's really too long to preach in one sermon. And so it's kind of a tweener, right? It's, it's kind of in between in length. And, uh, and so it's probably going to not be the easiest sermon to follow. I'll do my very, very best to, to explain it to you. But just know we've got a lot to get through today, so I'll probably be moving a little bit fast. Uh, at the beginning of chapter 11, Jesus sends the 12. He himself has gone to teach and preach in Galilee. As the disciples are gone, there's still a crowd that surrounds Jesus. He's, but he's there kind of without his closest advisors. Look at verses 2 and 3. We'll begin here. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? So, so John's in prison for, for really, he's in prison for being John. And if, if you know anything about John, you know this, John is a hard man. He, he is a prophet and he is a truth teller and he seemingly has no fear of men and he wears camel hair clothing that irritates his skin, and he eats nothing but wild locusts and honey. And John calls everyone to repent of their sin, and that includes kings. He has no fear of men. And, and so when King Herod stole his brother's wife, John publicly calls his act sin. And, and John calls for the king to repent. And so for his troubles, King Herod throws him into a really terrible prison. And that's where John is. But John's still able to keep up with the, the ministry of Jesus because John has his own disciples, and those disciples of John have actually been following Jesus around, and they're going back and forth to John who's in prison and to Jesus' ministry, and they're reporting what they see through Jesus. Now remember, what's, what's John's expectation of the Messiah? I, remember, he says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. I believe that, that, that John expects that Jesus is going to usher in really soon God's judgment. And I think uh, that John keeps waiting for his disciples to tell him, man, you should have seen Jesus today. He was really going. He's really pouring out God's wrath upon the earth. I think that's what John wants to hear in prison. But no. What is it that John's disciples are reporting back to him? 
Instead of pouring out God's wrath on sinners, Jesus is feasting and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. It just doesn't make sense. Rewind back just one story, right? And, and it was just, just, he just called Matthew, who's a tax collector. And, and he went over to Matthew's house and he had dinner with, with Matthew and his friends who were these, these really these outcast sinners in society. And do you remember who shows up to question Jesus during this meal? First it's the Pharisees, and then who is it? It's the disciples of John the Baptist. And they want to they question Jesus. They've been watching Jesus, and here he is. He's eating and drinking with sinners. And John hears about this, and he has to say to himself, where's the axe? Where's, where's the fire? Where's the justice? John is so sure of his own expectations of the Messiah that, that he has a crisis of faith. And, and here's the truth of this text. Ready? Do you know what causes most Christians to have crises of faith. And I'm not talking about non-believers because they, they've got all kinds of reasons, but, but for the Christian, I'm talking about a Christian who's put their faith in Jesus as Lord, and I add John the Baptist to this category. What causes most, most Christians to have a crisis of faith is when, catch this, their expectations of Jesus are not met. Okay? Many Christians often expect that when they trust Jesus as Lord, Jesus is going to, in return, express his love for them or for us by keeping all injustice in the world from us. It's a subtle thought, but it's what we believe, that we're going to be so blessed because Jesus loves us that bad things are never going to happen to us. So here's how that looks in the life of a Christian. You have a friend who's always loved Jesus, but her baby dies in the crib. So she says to you, how could a sovereign God allow that to happen? Have you seen something like that before, like in your life? You kind of heard that or experienced something like that before where someone says, how could a good God allow this to happen? See, you see, our expectations of, of a sovereign God is, is to kind of have a force field around us where no evil can penetrate. And I'm telling you that, that if that's your expectation in life, you are going to be disappointed. Because all of us in this world, unless Christ comes back, we're all going to get sick, our bodies are all going to fail, we're all going to die, and if we put our hope in Jesus, we will all go and be with Christ. We'll be absent from the body and present from the Christ. Tough times will come. So if you have the wrong expectations, when those tough times come, you're going to have, just like John, a crisis of faith. I can't tell you how many people I know who are Christians who get sick and they say, why me? Why is God letting this happen to me? Let's get back to John, because the way John sees it, his entire world is unjust. He's done the will of God at every turn, and he, and he has. He's he sacrificed at every turn. He's been obedient at every turn, and now here he finds himself the prisoner of a wicked man. Where's the justice in that? And he hears that Jesus is eating, and he's having celebrations with sinners, and, and here he is in prison. And do you remember the question the, the disciples of John the Baptist asked Jesus. They said, uh, why is it that, that, that the Pharisees fasted and we fast, but, but you and your disciples, you don't fast? Can you wrap your head around the discouragement of John? The question is, how did John respond uh, when he had these doubts in his heart? Like, what did he do? I think he actually, you've got to give John the Baptist a lot of credit here, I think he responded beautifully. And, and I think it's instructive for us. What he does is he goes to Jesus with his doubts. He brings them to the Lord. 
Uh, John's disciples bring this question to Jesus, and they, they come and they say, are you the one, or should we expect someone else? Should we expect another? And, and I hear this honestly as, a, as an honest question from a faithful man who's trying to make sense of his own disappointment. Maybe you've been there before. I don't know. Maybe you've had this in, in your life. Maybe, maybe you've been so wrecked in life that you found yourself saying like, Lord, um, are you still on the throne of heaven? Because if so, how can this happen? I think that's okay if that's where you are. I, I, think, I think you can honestly bring that to the Lord. And, and, I, and I think if, if it's happened to John, it can happen to us. Look what John tells, uh, excuse me, look what Jesus tells the disciples of John in verses 4 through 6. Ready? He says this. And Jesus tells them, he answers them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So, I mean, my, my assumption here, and I, and I am making an assumption, is that, is that what, what his disciples got hung up on telling him was all about him eating with these tax collectors and sinners, was all about him not fasting, all about Jesus not fasting. What, what Jesus says, go and tell them what you've seen with your eyes. Go and tell them that the blind see, that the lame walk, that the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. <clears throat> Why? Why would Jesus tell them to report those specific things? I think this is awesome. I want, I, want, I want you to look at Isaiah 35, 4 through 6. Uh, Isaiah is saying, John, you know your Bible. Excuse me, Jesus is actually saying this to, to the disciples. He's basically saying to John, you know your Bible. What does Isaiah say is the work of the Messiah? Look what, look what Isaiah says is the work of the, of, the, of the Messiah. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, behold, your God will come with vengeance. Okay, he's going to come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. They sh uh, then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So did you hear that? I mean, at one point, it reinforces John's expectations, but at another point, what Jesus is saying back to him is this, hey, hey what, is the, what is the work of the Messiah to look like? He, Jesus isn't just saying, look, look, tell them I can do miracles. It's beyond that. It's like, tell him which miracles I'm doing. I'm doing the miracles that the Messiah is supposed to be doing, right? And Jesus adds this in verse 6. He says this, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. We can spend an entire week just on that verse, uh, but, but it's simple, really. You are blessed uh, when you place your trust fully in the person of Jesus. If in the midst of your, you find your expectations unmet, you, you go back and you trust them still. Uh, so John's disciples return to John, and Matthew begins to remind us that uh, the, the, the crowd is still there. Uh, they've been watching this whole encounter, probably. And the crowd is likely to be confused, right? Uh, think about this. Um, if, if John's disciples are coming to question Jesus, whether he's still the Messiah, what are the crowds to think? And so, so I think it's wonderful to hear how Jesus addresses the crowd, especially in the light of John's crisis of faith. Uh, Jesus doesn't rebuke John to the crowd. 
In fact, what you're going to see is it's almost like Jesus defends John's honor to the crowd. He wants to know, he wants the crowd to know that John is a good man. And so, so look at verse 7. This is what, he, what Jesus says to the crowd. As the disciples of John went away, as they went away, Jesus begins to speak to the crowd concerning John. And this is what he says. He says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? You see, Jesus knows that many of the people in the crowd had, had followed John into the wilderness to because John was unbelievably unique and gifted. What Jesus is saying to the crowd is, what, what about John led you to go to him? What, why did you go over there in the first place? So don't you dare doubt him now. Don't you, didn't you go in to see him in the wilderness because he wasn't a reed shaken by the wind? In other words, you know what a reed shaken by the wind means, right? It's uh, kind of like a kind of man who can be blown over by the, the grumbling and the complaints of others. What Jesus is saying is, don't you remember that John has a resolve that is unshakable? He's resolute. He's faithful. He's not going to be blown over by this doubt. I think that's what Jesus is, is insinuating, that, that John's not some reed shaken by the wind. Verses 8 and 9, he says this, What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing, they're in, they're in a king's house. What then did you go out to see? A, a, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and, and more than a prophet. Jesus doesn't want the crowd to forget who Jesus is, or excuse me, who John is. John's a hard man who does not dress in soft clothes. And, and this is why the crowd likes John to begin with, because John spoke it as it was. He spoke the truth. He didn't waver. He didn't cower to kings. Don't you wish we had more men like John? I do. Jesus tells them, you went out to see him because he was a prophet. And you know what? He's more than a prophet, he says. And Jesus then is going to quote the words of the prophet Malachi. Now, Malachi, I don't know if y'all know much about prophet Malachi, but he was the last prophet in the Old Testament. And Malachi prophesied 400 years before John the Baptist came. And what he said is that the Lord would come, and, and, that, and that before the Lord was to come back, what, what, what would come first would be a messenger that would prepare the way for him. So look at Matthew 10, 11. Jesus says, Malachi was talking about John the Baptist. Okay, that's what he's saying. That when Malachi prophesied that there would be a, 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 a messenger who would come before the Lord, Jesus is saying, that's John the Baptist. He's the herald of the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 11. He's going to go even more. He says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. No one who's born of the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. He, Jesus says he, John is the greatest person ever born, which is about, and I want you to think about this, that might be the best compliment in the history of the world. Greater than David, greater than Moses, greater than Abraham. Uh, not just in, in what the context of, of, of what Jesus is saying, but, but who's saying it? Jesus can really say it with some, with some authority that, that this is the greatest man in the history of the world. But he adds this caveat. It's a strange caveat. He says, and yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And this is, a, I think, maybe a tad bit confusing, isn't it? John's greatness was found in his identity. He, John was great because he was the herald of the king. That's, that's what kind of made him great. Jesus isn't trying to insult John here. He's trying to let the crowd know 
how great a blessing it is to be in the kingdom. Like, what a privilege it is. Like, don't take for granted, as great as John's position made him, as great as it made him, your position as part of the kingdom of heaven makes you even greater. John was the one who, who came to proclaim that, that, that coming kingdom. And, and I guess what Jesus begins to address is, is what did John get for it? And he begins to talk about violence. That when John came heralding in the kingdom, John was exposed to violence. Uh, verses 12 through 13 basically express that. I'm, I'm running short on time, so I'm not going to read about that violence that Jesus is talking about uh, in 12 through 13. Um, but look with me at 14 through 15. I think it's interesting. He says this. And if you are willing to accept it, this is Jesus still talking about John the Baptist. If you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Why is, why is Jesus saying that John the Baptist is Elijah? Uh, the answer is, once again, it's, it's, it's a fulfillment of Malachi the prophets, right? Because here's what Malachi 4, 5 says. You ready? Malachi 4, 5, it says this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great awesome day of the Lord comes. So the, the Jews were convinced in these days that the Messiah could not come until Elijah came first. And if you, you, I don't know if you remember the story of Elijah. Remember Elijah was taken away in a chariot of fire? Malachi says that, uh, that, that Elijah will return before the day of the Lord. And Jesus says, if you're willing to accept it, John the Baptist is Elijah who is to come. That's what he says. Uh, and, and, and listen, I don't think he was literally saying that, that John the Baptist was literally Elijah, but I think what he was saying that is as a forerunner of the Messiah, John ministered in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He, he ministered in that way. He had taken up the mantle of Elijah, if you will. And, and Jesus knew that that was going to be a stretch for people. He, he knew that not everyone in the crowd was going to buy that. That's why he says in verse 15, he who has ears, let him hear. I'm going to plow through this last part, and, and I think you will see how it all resolves. And I think you'll, you'll see a theme in all of it. Let's read 16 through 19, and then we'll summarize kind of what's going on here. But to what shall I compare this generation? It's like a children in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sing a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating or drinking, and they said... He is a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. He, Jesus is talking to the crowd. Here's what he's saying. It is impossible for John and Jesus to fulfill their expectations. That's what he's telling the crowd. Because everybody wants something different. We all have different expectations. And, and I'll speak for us. I mean, we're all selfish. We're all trivial. And, and basically what he tells them, he's like, the people of this generation, they're like, are like kids sitting outside a supermarket. Maybe their kid, parents have gone into shop, and they're sitting outside the supermarket, and, and they get mad because as they play the flute, they're not dancing for them. And as they, they, they sing a, a sad song, they're not crying for them. Right? It's basically, we're never going to live up to your expectations. And Jesus then kind of contrasts himself with John. He says this. He shows that there's no pleasing in the expectations of the world. He says of John, he said, John came and he denied himself, right? 
He didn't go and feast. He, he, said he fasted in the wilderness. He, he lived on honey and locusts. And this generation looked at that self-denial of John and said, this man's got a demon. But in contrast, Jesus points to himself as the Son of Man. And he says, you know, the Son of Man came. He would go and he would eat and drink with sinners. And you looked at him and you said, he's a, he's a drunkard and a glutton, which, which he's not. You said he's a friend of sinners. There's no pleasing this generation. There's no pleasing our expectations. The heart of this entire text from, from John's doubt of Jesus, uh, you know, or, or, or from Jesus' comments to the crowd, it's, it, it's all dealing with unmet expectations. See, John had a momentary crisis of faith because his expectations of the Messiah were not met. I'll make this very practical for you. Sometime in your life, if it hasn't happened yet, it probably will, your expectations for how life should go, they will not be met. Your spouse will die. You will get sick yourself maybe. And maybe your response will be, Jesus, I thought you would protect me from this. This is not how things are supposed to go. I pray that never happens to you in life, but if it does, I pray that you follow the lead of John the Baptist. And, and I pray that you return to Christ and you lay your expectations before him. And I believe that what will happen is that just as Christ pointed John back to the scriptures, said, said John, look at Isaiah. What does the scripture say about the Messiah? That God's Holy Spirit will draw you back to the word of God to clarify your expectations and to comfort you in your sorrow. So I'm going to leave you now with the words of Jesus. This is what he said. This is what he said to John the Baptist. This is kind of his last reproach to John the Baptist. And blessed is the one who is never offended by me. May you never lose faith in the one who lays down his life to redeem you from sin and death. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It was, a, it was a long word and a full word today, but it was a word that spoke to our expectations. John the Baptist expected Jesus to bring the wrath and judgment of God around him, and he saw injustice or, or a lack of justice. He saw himself in prison of an evil man. And, and, and Father, I know that in times in our life when we look around and we see injustice, we tend uh, to have crises of faith as well. Uh, so, so, Lord, my, my prayer is that by your Spirit you would draw us to Christ to confess those doubts when they arise, and that the Spirit of God would draw us back to your Word to find proper expectations for the Messiah. Uh, to you be all glory and honor in your church forever and ever. And all the church said, Amen. Amen.